0: Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of
1: systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in
0: Bloomington, 332-2233.
2: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. And um, without Mary Catherine today, Mary Catherine Carmichael was a late scratch. She had uh, something she had to take care of. But we're going to uh, – we have two great guests and we're going to talk about the, the flu outbreaks and ways to promote public health in south-central Indiana. So with me in the studio are uh, two people that you may have read about a little bit in the newspaper or heard on the radio already, uh, in, director of Indiana University's Health Center, Dr. Diana Ebling, and Indiana University associate dean for global and community health, Dr. Lloyd Colby. If you want to join us on the program, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join the program also by going to our website, WFIU.org slash Noon You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So uh, as I introduced you, I, I did realize that you've been in the news a lot lately. <laughs> you've been been quoted in various publications and on various radio stations and probably on television. I don't know. You've been, been around. But uh, it's not often that we hear about – uh, a pandemic, and that's the word that's being thrown around. I, I wanted to, uh, Dr. Colby, if you could sort of define what that is versus, you know, a common everyday epidemic.
3: Surely, Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we often refer to epidemics uh, in the uh, context of epidemiology as a greater than normally observed case number of uh, infections. In this case, or, or health problems, in other cases than one would normally see. And certainly that depends upon a whole range of factors, um, not the least of which is how serious those problems are. A pandemic by comparison is actually uh, defined in six phases by the World Health Organization, all the way from phases uh, one through three in which you have primarily um, animal-to-animal contact uh, or infections. Um, to phase uh, four, where you have sustained human infection, and then stages five and six. Stage five is where a pandemic or an infection basically around the world in a number of WHO regions uh, has been observed and substantially observed, So right now we're still at phase five, which uh, signifies that a pandemic is imminent, Mm -hmm. but we have not reached stage six. uh, So we uh, are not yet calling this a pandemic.
2: So what happens in stage six?
3: Stage six uh, we'll probably see uh, at some point uh, in the future when we have uh, infections in several more countries uh, and the infections in the countries uh, that currently are seeing – this novel H1N1 influenza virus uh, increase in number.
2: Now, I know both of you are are, uh, more in in tune with science than you are with speculation, but do you expect that we'll reach this stage six?
0: Based, based on uh, the fact that it is at a level five with the uh, uh, sustained outbreaks in a number of countries it is it's highly likely you know like you say we don't have a crystal ball and we can't predict, but it is highly likely and as uh, uh, dr. Colby mentioned imminent mm-hmm.
2: so I, I know that the uh, when you get into talking about pandemics and, and global Uh, global infection, those kind of issues. I mean, the stakes are very high, but could you kind of talk about why there's so much attention on this particular um, strain of the flu?
3: This is – oftentimes uh, each year we'll get drift uh, in the nature of the common seasonal flu virus. Um, and that drift causes uh, us to create new vaccines to um, immunize and protect people who are willing to uh, get vaccinated. Um, but it appears um, at this point in time like we may have seen uh, a shift. We may have seen actually a um, aggregation of different viruses uh, coming together. It's called a, a reassortment of viruses so that we may have a new virus that uh, to which human beings have not been yet exposed. And consequently, uh, the infectivity rate may be very high, um, which it looks like uh, this may be the case with this uh, virus. But we still uh, do not know what the case fatality rate uh, is at this point in time. Mm-hmm.
2: Dr. And,
0: yes, mm-hmm. and and to date, there's no vaccine for this. So the two biggest concerns and why this is um, um, so um, concerning to people is that it is a novel virus that we don't have immunity to, and to date, there's no vaccine, though that is being worked on. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, uh, if you if you would, if you just talk about influenza in general, because there are many. I mean, we we keep talking about the H1N1 or. People refer to the swine flu and we can get into you know, what – why we shouldn't call it – should or shouldn't call it swine flu here in a minute. But um, there, there are a lot of people who die every year from some kind of influenza. So again, what, this one is more um, – has become more newsworthy because we don't have a vaccine for it.
3: I, I think you make a very important point and just to, to emphasize that in any given year um, – In the United States, uh, we have about 20 percent of the population that is infected at some point in time with the seasonal flu, Uh, about 200,000 hospitalizations, about 36,000 deaths each year. So certainly something to be um, concerned about. this uh, virus um, is unique in that it's coming at the end of our normal transmission cycle. Uh, it appears to be affecting uh, populations that uh, are are normally healthy. It's, it's uh, influencing the thirty to forty four year old population more than it is. Uh, other populations, and there may be a whole uh, wide range of reasons um, for that. Um, and it's it's very unpredictable. We don't know where it's uh, going at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, Dr. Ebling, mm-hmm. you see college students. I mean, at the health center, has there been um, sort of a? I guess would you would you say there's been a Panic is probably too strong a word, but has there been a strong reaction to all the news in that there, you've been seeing more cases, more people have been coming to the health center to try to figure out whether they've got something?
0: Well, um, you, um, President McRobbie called the um, uh, Emergency Planning Committee together – and we've been meeting daily, and one of the uh, tasks we've had is to really get the information out there to make sure people feel informed, not only you know, the students, faculty, staff, and community. And I think that has helped because I actually thought we would see more alarm and uh, possibly panic, we are seeing some concern. People have called with questions and come in. We've been doing more flu surveillance tests. You know, since we are at the very end of um, our seasonal flu season, we typically don't do that. But we have been testing more for flu when people come in with cough and fever over 100. Um, But um, I think people are feeling informed and know what they can do to try to prevent it. And we have not seen a level of panic mm-hmm. at this point.
2: I've got a phone call I'm going to go to in just a second. But before that, I'll, I just want to know what's the difference What's the difference between the flu and a common cold?
0: It's a different virus. Um, the common cold can be caused by a number of different viruses. Um, and uh, so they're both viral and um, antibiotics don't help either one. They're transmitted similarly with coughing and sneezing and close contact with other people. But common colds are, are mild. Um, most people you know, recover fine without complications. And with influenza, there's a higher risk of complications, particularly in some groups that have chronic health problems.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go to the phone. Stan is on the line. Stan?
4: Hi, um, I have a general question. Uh, in light of the fact that we, we didn't know whether this was going to turn out to be a very serious um, uh, case, uh, does the state have plans for um, mass inoculations of the very young,
3: the elderly, especially the poor? I'll get off the phone.
2: Okay, Stan. Thank you.
0: Um, Yes, that's a good question. I know they're working on that. Um, They're working through the local health departments on um, developing uh, not only uh, developing points of distribution, you'll hear it called PODs where people could possibly come to get medication, Uh, right at this time, we know that H1N1 is – that there are a couple of medications that can work against that, Tamiflu and Relenza. So they'll be looking at that, uh, points of distribution for the medications. And if the vaccine is made available, the soonest it would be available is the fall. And it's not known at this time – who the CDC will recommend get that vaccine. It may just be people that have a higher risk of complications. So they're looking at, they will be looking at, if that's the case, sites where that could be distributed um, to um, a large group of people.
2: All right. Our phone number is 855 877-285-9348. You can join us on the website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We're talking about uh, the flu and ways to uh, protect yourself from it and how to promote public health in general in south-central Indiana. Um, the, you mentioned that there's no vaccine for this strain of the flu. How likely is it that we'll discover one soon, soon enough that – this won't be such a serious issue for much longer?
3: Well, the, the FDA has made a decision to build a new um, flu-making uh, facility up in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, my assumption is that uh, actually there will be uh, two new uh, vaccines that will be provided the, the normal uh, seasonal flu Vaccine that is produced by the United States uh, each year uh, as well as uh, potentially um, a vaccination for this novel uh, H1N1 influenza. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, it's not clear yet uh, whether uh, if in fact we even produce a new vaccine, that that vaccine will be used. I think um, what many people are waiting for is to watch what occurs over the next six or uh, eight months as this influenza will drift into the uh, southern hemisphere and start infecting people um, in the southern hemisphere, potentially infecting um, other swine, uh, birds, as well as humans. Uh, and we've experienced in the past, in the 50s and the 60s, two waves of um, of influenza, and sometimes that second wave can be uh, small. Sometimes we don't get a second wave, uh, but there have been instances in the past where the second wave is much more pathogenic uh, than the first wave has been.
2: Mm-hmm. So, define for those of us uh, the word pathogenic.
3: Um, the the virus is is more virulent, and to to say it uh, uh, perhaps uh, most clearly. Uh, We look at a numerator of the number of cases that uh, are severe, require hospitalization or at worst cause death over the denominator uh, of the people who have been infected. And at this point in time, we really have no idea of the number of people in Mexico, in the United States, indeed around the world – who have infections that may be so mild that they don't even know that they have an infection or who may have simple symptoms of the flu. Mm -hmm. Until we're able to sort that out to some degree, it will be hard to make a decision about whether the adverse consequences of vaccinating people um, will be worth the risk of uh, providing that vaccination. Mm
2: I have some I think some very basic questions. You know, first of all, the the whole name the name issue: swine flu versus H one N one influenza A. I know that you know when it, when it was first called swine flu, and that was in all, all the headlines in every news account. You know, pigs were being slaughtered all over mm-hmm. the place. I mean, what's the truth about you know where the name comes from, and is there any you know relationship to real to pigs that we might come in contact with? Dr. Evelyn.
0: Um well it well, it is felt that this novel H1N1 virus has some genetic components of bird and swine and human and um, in terms of, you know, many times um Epidemics or pandemics are named from the locale of where it started. I don't know why this didn't didn't, didn't wasn't called uh, Mexico City or something like that. It's hard to know, but um, it does have various genetic components. And uh, but it is more accurate to not just call it swine because it has again bird and human components in it. And as you said, it was hurting the pork industry. People cannot get this from eating pork, but when it was simply called swine, people were getting very worried about that. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Another sort of basic question, and this comes to mind after what you were talking about with creating the vaccines. I get a flu shot every year. Is that that a different vaccine that's created for a different strain of flu, or is there, like, am I getting shot with the same thing every year?
3: It's a very good question. Uh, You're getting shot with something uh, different each each year, and uh, uh, the... uh, There's an advisory committee at CDC uh, that works with the pharmaceutical industry and they take their best guess. They look at what's circulating um, uh, in a variety of viruses um, around the world including a a B-type virus um, and try to anticipate what is going to be um, circulating at the time uh, where transmission uh, for that virus will – will be occurring, at least uh, in the United States. And it is a guess. Um, Sometimes people guess well and the vaccine is more effective. Uh, Sometimes there is mutation that occurs between the time at which they are guessing uh, what's going to happen and when uh, the the virus actually strikes, so um, the vaccinations can be more or less effective. Having said that, um, uh, it's well worth uh, uh, anyone's time to uh, to have a vaccination. I've certainly always felt
2: that way.
0: Yeah, I think it's commonly misunderstood. People sometimes you'll hear them say, well, I don't get the vaccine because it gives me flu every year. But I just want to emphasize that that does not happen. It's an inactivated uh, vaccine. So you, someone cannot get a flu infection from the vaccine. And I think it's even—it's always been important, but even more important this year that people get their seasonal flu shot. Are
2: there are there side effects to the seasonal flu shot? Since I've got you here, yeah. I, it seems like every year when I when I get the flu shot, I, for a couple of days, I maybe don't feel. All that chippers or just my imagination?
0: Probably. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you. Uh, I just needed to hear that. The
0: most common um, side effect is just a little bit of an achy arm. That's what most people experience, and some people don't even experience that. Okay.
2: So, so this year, if if then uh, if things sort of progress um, normally to the place where there's another vaccine for N1H1H1N1, sorry, um, and I go in for my usual physical and I get a flu shot. Might I get also get the other shot at that point? Is that a possibility?
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility, but it's very unknown at this point. Yeah. Um, they have not – There's CDC has not um, given us any information as to whether that will be rolled out to the public in general or whether it will be designated for certain groups of people. Um, so that I think we'll know more about that in the next. I'm sure we'll know more about that in the next few months. But they're saying it will be about six months before a vaccine is available.
2: Okay. We're going to go back to the phones. Andy's on the line. Andy? Hi. Uh,
4: I just tuned in, so I don't know if this question had already been asked or not, uh, but it's really sort of a two-part question. I was reading on the web today uh, that one of the concerns that they have now uh, is that the H1N1 and something called the? I hope I get this right. H5N1, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, more of a bird virus that seems to be a lot uh, a lot more uh, uh, devastating to the body, but it's not uh, easily uh, um, passed on from from per. It, it doesn't get passed on from person to person. It gets passed on from bird to human. Uh, that these two viruses may um uh, link up or, or this this current virus may mutate and take some of the uh uh genetic code off of the one mm-hmm. uh first off um, my first question is how likely is that to happen and second question it has to do with the uh with the antivirals out there the, the Tamiflu i know that uh you know, a lot has been made about how Tamiflu was really pretty effective with this particular virus. And I have never really known just how how Tamiflu actually works. I've just always been told that, you know, there's no real cure for the virus, uh, for the flu, and you just sort of have to wait it out until your body uh, gets an immune system to it. So I'll, I'll get off here and listen to your comments.
3: All right. Thanks, Andy. Well, Andy, you're Your question is, I I think, um, in in my mind, one of the most important uh, for us to understand. Um, We are entering a new era in the history of um, disease and conditions uh, globally. There there really are no uh, global boundaries anymore. And uh, to parse apart a little bit some of your terms, there is something called the bird flu that – uh, typically uh, uh, finds its home uh, in birds, uh, doesn't frequently uh, infect um, human beings, but then there is uh, avian flu. Um, uh, uh, the H5N1 version uh, is uh, uh, very pathogenic, uh, it's very virulent. We have seen it uh, in the past uh, that the case fatality rate, um, a, Problems that it causes uh, are quite severe. And in fact, uh, that's one of the things that we worry about. um, That uh, if we see uh, a significant strain of the normal seasonal flu and we see um, this novel H1N1 and we see H5N1 all at the same time. Especially during this period in history where uh, the globe is experiencing some serious economic problems, that these in aggregation um, can cause uh, problems uh, that we might be able to handle better if they only occurred uh, sequentially or one at a time. Let me, if I might, defer to Dr. Ebling about your question about uh, Tamiflu and H5N1.
0: Yes, you had very good questions. Um, To answer your question about Tamiflu, um, if if someone is developing flu-like symptoms and it appears that for H1N1 the symptoms are very similar as they are to the seasonal flu, which is typically a fever over a hundred and a cough. Those are the most common symptoms. It can you can also get a headache, sore throat, and some people will get vomiting or diarrhea. But if those develop, it's important to call your your healthcare provider, your doctor, and talk with them. If you're not if 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 it's mild and you don't have any complicated medical history that put you at a greater risk for complications, they may just suggest that you stay home, not go to work, not go to school. Um, the, the medication, the Tamiflu or Relenza, right now the CDC is primarily recommending that for people that have a higher risk of developing complications from the flu, and that would be those that are uh, children that are younger than five and adults over 65 and those with chronic medical conditions like heart conditions, uh, lung conditions, or metabolic conditions like diabetes, pregnant women. And those that are immunosuppressed, uh, like someone with HIV or taking medications that may suppress their immune system, so those people in particular. And it should be started within 48 hours of the beginning of symptoms to be effective. And it it helps it reduces the ability of the virus to to replicate. And so it typically is uh, helps. Uh, it reported to help someone feel better about a day sooner than they would normally feel better. So it's not any kind of magic bullet, but uh, people will feel better sooner. It may help reduce the risk of complications and also reduce the number of days that someone can transmit the flu virus to someone else.
2: All right. Thanks a lot for that answer. Thanks a lot for the call. We've hit uh, time to take a short break. We're talking about um, the flu, H1N1, and other kinds of of uh, illnesses that might come around and also how to promote public health in South Central Indiana. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, wfiu.org. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45.
2: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times. And today we're talking about uh, the flu outbreak and ways that you can avoid it and other uh, issues about public health in South Central Indiana. If you have uh, questions today for our two guests, uh, please feel free to call. Our guests are Director of Indiana University's Health Center, Dr. Diana Ebling, and also Indiana University Associate Dean for Global and Community Health, Dr. Lloyd Colby. Our numbers, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 877 285 9348 can join us at our new website, WFIU.org slash and we're on Twitter. Follow us at Noon Edition. Um, it's graduation weekend, and the university has made the determination that uh, doc- that um, President McRobbie will not be shaking the hand of every graduate that crosses the stage. Was this a, uh, a good decision, an overreaction? What do you think?
0: I think it was a prudent public health decision, and it was at the recommendation of the state health commissioner, Dr. Judith Monroe, about a week ago, when there were those two cases diagnosed in Indianapolis in the elementary school children, and a public announcement. She made a public announcement about that. She recommended at that time to avoid shaking hands. Mm -hmm. All right.
3: And I was with Dr. Monroe uh, last Friday um, and when I went into her office, rather than shaking her hand, she had this poster uh, outside of her office. So we did the elbow bump and the hip bump there and uh, <laughs> I think uh, we may be seeing some of that.
2: Uh, yes. Well, I appreciate the brother. fact that we did shake hands in here. I have to say that, yeah. but we all washed up really well before <laughs> yeah. we did. So um, I, I do also have a, a question about – um, you know, we were talking before the break about sort of how the how the the disease or the flu can kind of um, manifest itself. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if I went to the doctor, I had these symptoms. And the word came back to me that, oh, yes, you have H1N1. Mm-hmm. You know, what what then? You know, what could I expect? I think we were talking before the show. There may be, I think, the latest word on the news report was 1,600 nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people seem to, I mean, are maybe get very, very ill and other people don't get so ill. Can you kind of explain that?
0: Um, you know, that's true, and that's what's been seen to date with this, is that the severity does vary, and it's not always predictable. I mean, some of the severe cases they've seen in Mexico were in younger people. Um, But if you do become ill, it is important to contact your health care provider, at least by phone, to discuss it and discuss your symptoms to see if you would be a candidate for medication. But, you know, most importantly is to... um, You know, rest, stay well hydrated, see if you uh, meet the criteria for beginning medication, and stay home to reduce the transmission. um, Stay home for seven days after the beginning of your illness um, or 24 hours after your symptoms are gone, whichever is longest. That's still what the CDC is recommending based on the uh, transmission information they have about seasonal flu. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, We have a phone call. Let's go to Joanne. Joanne. Joanne?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, Thank you for having this subject on. It's very uh, timely and important. You've touched upon it a little bit, but uh, if you could emphasize a little more what those of us can do to help individuals who may not have the same access as we do to information and, most importantly, health providers who can treat them. We've talked a lot about staying home, being away from people, and as we know, particularly in these tough economic times, there'll be individuals who may be infectious but can't stay home from work or don't have uh, access to uh, doctors such as the wonderful Dr. Aberlink. So Mm -hmm. can you share what we can do to support those people or get them uh, the help and care that they need?
2: All right. Thanks, Joanne.
0: Thanks. You bring up a tough issue, and um, people who don't have paid sick leave, for instance, what do they do? It, it's, it's difficult for sure uh, economically for them if they stay home, but it's important that they do so. I know as far as medical resources in the community, um, if someone doesn't have insurance, uh, and lives in uh, Owen Morero County and meets the qualification quite criteria, they could go to the volunteers in medicine clinic um, also they um, could certainly call the emergency room for guidance um, it seems like there was something else I was going to suggest, but i 'm it 's escaping me right now, but uh, those are some you know some options
3: and to be sure if they have serious um Uh, symptoms, uh, irrespective of their uh, ability to um, pay, uh, there are a variety of uh, sources that can um, help to assure that they receive what could be um, not just life-saving treatment, but uh, to protect uh, the other members of their family from um, becoming uh, ill, or if they are already ill, to uh, make sure that they're well cared for.
0: There is a hotline at the state uh, Department of Health that's answered uh, eight to four forty five, I believe, every day. Now that's um, uh, on the Indiana uh, University info site that can be found, so people can call up there to get guidance too. Um,
2: yeah, and you know, that, it's it struck me uh, as very interesting that some of the key ways that you can protect yourselves are, are things that you would think we should be doing anyway. I mean, washing your mm-hmm. hands often, washing your hands thoroughly. Um, if you cough or sneeze, covering your mouth or your nose with your sleeve, your el- elbow, whatever you can cover yourself with. Um, it seems like common sense, but I guess people need to be reminded constantly. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, yeah the, these these times are good reminders because the the single most important thing somebody can do is wash their hands frequently and it is it is so simple but a lot of us don't do that as often as we should, and that helps prevent many kinds of infectious diseases.
2: And I, it seems like uh, maybe last time we, we had um, an issue about – maybe it was norovirus or something that, mm-hmm. that there were lots of uh, discussions about how long to wash your hands in soapy water, like count – do the ABCs or right. something like that.
3: So. That's right. I, yeah think that uh, we're we're all learning our ABCs and um, singing various songs as we're uh, washing our hands. But uh, to be sure, this is something that CDC has been advocating for at least the past um, 15 years, recognizing that such a simple technique can drastically reduce the transmission uh, of a wide variety of conditions, norovirus being uh, certainly one of those. And norovirus... um, being one uh, that uh, has the capacity to remain infectious uh, on fomites or on desktops, uh, as this virus does, although this virus uh, certainly not nearly as long as norovirus. So cleaning um, up after um, people who may uh, have uh, infections that are obvious and making sure that uh, people are constantly washing their hands after using um, various facilities. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811, 877-285-9348. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is our website. You can uh, send us questions there and you can also follow us at Noon Edition on Twitter. Um, there may be, because this hasn't been as bad as, as first – uh, feared there may be some letting down of the guard, and I know mm-hmm. I've read stories and heard people talk about how well this was much ado about nothing. This really wasn't a a big deal. Why why do we react so strongly when people say the word pandemic? And has there been an overreaction, or were we just being prudent,
3: Doctor Colby? In in my opinion, I th- think that. Um, This has certainly been an unfortunate episode uh, in the history of humankind having said that. Um, I think it's been a good exercise um, to help us all understand the types of problems that we may continue to see um, as we move into the future and um, as – we see more antimicrobial resistance and more organisms that we used to be able to treat with relatively cheap antibiotics. Those antibiotics are no longer working. So with uh, increasing populations, with those populations in um, larger densities in our cities, uh, with mass uh, transportation that can uh, transmit these viruses rapidly um, from place to place... I think we'll be seeing more of these types of outbreaks and this uh, is giving us a chance to put into practice um, what our emergency preparedness um, people in this county and Bloomington Hospital um, in the state of Indiana and throughout the nation and world have in fact uh, been doing uh, for these past five to Mm -hmm. to ten years in preparing us all. And the most important of them is to inform the population um, because if anything, by nature uh, of uh, the influenza organism, it's unpredictable. And we simply don't know where it will go tomorrow or next month or next mm-hmm. year. And as long as the population can be uh, informed, uh, we we hope that that will have a calming effect and that people – won 't uh, develop uh, uh, the type of anxiety that could create problems, so um, education and uh, asking people to uh, keeping up keep up with uh, the evolution of the epidemic at this point in time pandemic if it uh, in fact reaches that point is uh, is a very important process
2: mm-hmm. dr ablin
0: yeah i would I would just agree completely that it 's um, Important. It's been important to take the actions that have been taken, and even though it does look so far that the um, this virus is not causing more severe disease than seasonal flu, it's too early to really tell that because we've only had it in this country for about less than a month now. So I would just uh, you know it's still evolving, and we don't know where it will end up. And I think the uh, planning that has taken place. in the last month to six weeks, ha- will really be helpful if this does come back more severe in the fall. I think we need to be prepared for that possibility.
2: Okay. We have uh, – I have some follow-ups I want to use, but we have callers that want to <laughs> join us. So we're going to get the, to them first. Chuck's on the line, and uh, then we have a second call after Chuck. Hello. Go ahead, Chuck.
4: Yeah, uh, just a simple question. When when you uh, think you have the symptoms and you go see your physician, uh, are you diagnosed symptomatically, or is there a fairly specific uh, test for this virus that, that they can do and uh, really say, yes, for sure you have it? I'll listen offline.
2: Okay. Thanks, Chuck.
0: Okay, good question. Um, yes, there is a, what's called a rapid flu test. If you go in with the characteristic symptoms, um, a rapid flu test can be done, and that would just give a preliminary report stating that it, look, it appears to be influenza, but it wouldn't say what type it is. Then a test would need to get sent to the State Department of Health. And at the State Department of Health, and more testing would be done. And w- then the State d- State Department would issue a report that yes or no, it's H1N1.
2: And the characteristic uh, symptoms again?
0: Oh, uh, fever over 100 and a cough okay. and body aches. Those are the most common.
2: Okay. Now let's go back to the phone. We have Rich next. Rich.
4: Hi. I just have a quick question. Um, from what I understand of the virus, it actually has a lot of different components that have signatures of you know, the bird flu, human influenza, and like, uh, like swine flu also, I guess. And my question was um, first: how does a how does a virus um, take on that kind of role where it has all these different components? And you know, some people all the way on the other side of the spectrum might you know claim that it's somehow been engineered that way. Um, you know, I just want to get your input on that. Uh, what do what you thought about it?
3: It's a very good question and, um, Chuck, if if you were to uh, travel to many uh, nations in the world, uh, to Southeast Asia, to uh, South America, uh, indeed uh, even parts of the United States, what you would find is that there are large numbers of geese or chicken um, – um, a variety of uh, fowl that live uh, very closely with their uh, human caretakers, the same thing with swine. Um, and so what uh, we believe has occurred um, uh, as we see these populations of different animals, um, species, uh, co is that they uh, pick up each other's uh, viruses, and then those viruses may sit in a in a pig's gut and aggregate um, uh, and come up with a whole different organism. That organism um, could be uh, less uh, virulent uh, than uh, previous organisms, or it could become more. Uh, it's a, a random um, process, and. Um, uh, that uh, is uh, being seen more and more throughout the world as uh, these populations of uh, large populations of humans and other animals uh, uh, occupy same space. All right. Uh, maybe space. Just
4: one more follow up. Sure, go ahead. Um, I just, um, from what I understood, there's no. Uh, it used to be the standard that um, viruses, you know, cannot cross species. Is that no longer the standard?
3: They certainly do cross species at at this point in time. Yeah, so it's it's uh, as Dr. Ebling was saying, it's not a problem at all to um, to consume uh, pork. Um, but uh, if one was uh, living uh, very closely with an infected uh, population of swine, then there is some potential for cross contamination. Um, and pity those poor swine, also because they can be <laughs> contaminated by us. So it's, a, it's an important uh, process that uh, is occurring. All right. Thank
2: you very much. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Rich. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. wfiU.org/noonedition, WFIU.org slash noon edition, and uh, we're going. We're also on Twitter at noon edition. You can follow us there. Okay. As a guy who's got dogs and cats, tell me that I can't get what they have, and they can't get what I have.
0: There, Please. <laughs> especially with this influenza, there's no no data saying that that would be likely at okay, all at good. this point.
2: All right. I don't have pigs that yeah. around my yeah. yard, but I do have those <laughs> other critters. So. Yeah. All right. So uh, this this has been getting a lot of headlines, a lot of publicity lately. This particular, uh, you know, H1N1. What other kinds of illnesses should we be perhaps as worried about, or more worried about, or is is there, are there any?
3: Well, to be sure, we need to be worried about SARS. Um, uh, SARS struck uh, the world, became pandemic, uh, and um, uh, went away. Um, It will be back. Uh, We should be worried about avian flu. Um, We should be worried about the normal form of tuberculosis, but we should be even – Further worried about uh, multi drug resistant tuberculosis and especially extreme drug resistant uh, tuberculosis. Um, we should be worried in the United States about dengue fever, about West Nile fever. Uh, we should be uh, worried about Lyme disease. Uh, we uh, should be worried about monkeypox in the United States. Um, again, we're seeing, uh, and in fact, CDC has, so oh, maybe a decade ago, devoted a whole new journal to what it calls uh, emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases as we're um, seeing these conditions uh, change and uh, evolve over time as they normally do. And we need to continue uh, to be vigilant and to uh, address them as they occur. Mm
2: -hmm. So just uh, again, I know we've gone over some of this ground before, but You know, we can worry about all these things, but what can we do to have the best shot at not getting one of these illnesses?
0: Um, Certainly to do all those things people know to stay healthy, to exercise, to try to reduce stress if possible. And then in terms of the infectious diseases, wash your hands. Um, We talked about that. Covering your cough. Covering your cough with a tissue, throw it in the trash. If you don't have that, cough into your into your sleeve. Uh, stay home if you're ill. Um, all, don't touch your face, nose, mouth. Um, that's a very common way people transmit infections to themselves. So all of those things can be helpful. And in addition,
3: um, I'm I'm very honored to. Um, sit with my esteemed uh, colleague who has been trained in clinical medicine uh, about which I know very little and uh, certainly if, if I had uh, an individual medical problem, I would be grateful for her skills. I'm, I'm so proud uh, that on May 5th, uh, President McRobbie announced that Indiana University will be developing two schools of public health. Um, We're one of the few nations uh, or one of the few states in Indiana that uh, at this point in time does not have a school of public health. And at these schools of public health, um, there are professionals who are trained to address these population um, problems, um, problems that uh, are not – uh, certainly have clinical aspects, but uh, that can be prevented uh, in many cases um, and uh, addressed uh, in other cases, um, primary prevention, secondary prevention. Uh, uh, ideally, to work with our clinical colleagues uh, so that uh, we can evolve um, our medical and public health approaches integrate them and protect our population even greater. So uh, our hats are off to Indiana University for making the decision to keep the people of Indiana healthier by uh, building these two schools of public health. Mm -hmm.
2: If you have any questions for us, 855-0811, 877-285-9348 or find us on the website, wfiu.org slash edition, or you can uh – Check us out on Twitter at noon edition. we only have about six minutes to go in the program and uh, are there other factors involved um, uh, factors with the economy, factors with uh, sort of global factors of the way that society is is growing is changing that are creating more risks for these sort of ec- epidemics and, and pandemics
3: um, to be sure there there are. Um, Our society society is changing in many ways um, and unfortunately, they're often synergistic uh, illustratively as we look at global climate change. Um, I used to uh, spend a lot of time in Africa, uh, notably in um, Kenya. And when uh, I went to Nairobi, which is built uh, on the side of a mountain, basically, um, I, if I, as long as I told my colleagues at CDC uh, where I formerly worked that uh, I was only staying in Nairobi, I wouldn't get an anti-malarial um, because mosquitoes didn't come up that high. Well, if you go to Nairobi these days, you need to take an uh, anti-malarial. Um, so. It's one – just one instance, global climate change will have an immense effect on a wide variety of um, conditions that we'll need to um, prepare for. Uh, Our environment uh, in the United States and indeed throughout the world is increasingly toxic um, uh, and certainly creating problems about which we're only learning. uh, as I mentioned, uh, um, as we use more antimicrobials, um, especially as we put those antimicrobials into um, chicken feed or into cattle feed, um, it decreases their potential to help us humans when we need them. Um, so. There are many policies, many um, interventions that cut across a, a wide swath of uh, our academic institutions whether they be um, business or informatics or, or law um, and we're just learning as a society how to integrate all of these disciplines in a way that can focus on improving the health of populations. We – I'm sorry to say – are fairly far behind uh, Europe and the Scandinavian nations which uh, are taking these ideas and moving very rapidly forward with them, uh, creating something called health in all policies, uh, looking uh, uh, at each uh, uh, sector of society and understanding what that sector, whether it be agriculture or Mm -hmm. commerce or – Um, um, uh, business um, uh, uh, law how all of them can work together to uh, protect uh, our populations Mm -hmm.
2: Dr. Edmund in the last couple minutes I I want to Uh, Ask you for some advice on other things. You've mentioned several. We've we've talked several times about covering your mouth and Mm -hmm. staying home if you're sick and all that. But there are also products on the market, and I don't know if any of these are are good or not good. And I'm not going to ask you to endorse one over the other. But but things like hand sanitizers Mm -hmm. is a good idea to have one of those in your house. And there are a lot of things that I think you can you can take that are supposed to sort of prevent make you healthier so you maybe you don't get a cold, over-the-counter kinds of things. Are those worth it?
0: Well, certainly the hand sanitizers are. Um, they are very helpful um, with this. And I think in the house but also in your house you're going to have soap and water. So it's okay in the house but not as important. But if people would carry them in their car or in their purse when you can't, Readily get to soap and water, Uh, they they can be very helpful. It's recommended that they have sixty percent alcohol, and most of them do. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as what else you can do to possibly decrease your risk of a viral infection, besides what we've already talked about, uh, certainly good nutrition. You know, do the vitamins or the supplements. does that help? I, you know, I, I think the answer is out on that. It's hard to know um, whether those particular supp- supplements that may boost someone's immune system w- would help prevent uh, a viral infection. But I think um, all those measures to stay healthy and eat well and exercise, those definitely, we know those can affect the mu- immune system in a positive way.
2: All right. And unfortunately, we're out of time. We could have talked about this for much longer and hopefully we'll have you back sometime. I've appreciate it.
3: Well, thank you so yeah. much, All
2: right. Thank you. I want to thank, thank you. Dr. Diane Ebling and Dr. Lloyd Colby for being here with us today. For uh, my absent host, Mary Catherine, and for the two producers we had today, Ariana Prothero and Daniel Robinson. For engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
5: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at wfiu.org.
2: Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233.